Hello, everyone, and welcome along to the World Game Live show for this Wednesday, December 16th. Adrian Archuli here in a very sweaty Sydney. I may look like Rudy Giuliani soon with a sweaty head as it's very humid. I'm filling in once again for Lucy Zelich, as always. <laughs> Nick Stoll joins us. And we're what a, what a comparison, first off the bat. Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, We've been 20 yeah. seconds into a podcast well, and he's already been brought up. Well, we're about to talk to Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald, and there, are, there were some great memes, memes, should I say, after this launch. But before I get there, as always, get your questions in. We've got a blockbuster of a show, so we'd love for you to join the conversation. Vincenzo, we'll start with you, the one and only Vince Regari from the SMH. Um, Monday's Fox Sports A-League launch, where does that rank in your highlights of, of your career covering football? <laughs> uh, it was right up there. No, like, um, it's like, we've got to put things into context. I think the second part of my story that I wrote about the A-League launch the other day said season launches don't matter. They're not important in terms of, like, anything other than a journalist like me going to an event and filling my boots with content and talking to all the players who are there and getting some stories, basically. That's all it's there for. Like, people should not be looking at a season launch and thinking the sky's falling in. Because, it, because they had a weird, zany activation where players were shooting at goal from the edge of Darling Harbour at Bossa on a floating um, set of goals, which is still, it's really funny. Like, it was really funny. Like, no one could quite figure out why we were doing Look, it. There's um, the fight at Bossa. Very happy wow. back in Greece. Yeah. Oh, I met, he is actually, like, for people who have never met Bossa, he is one of the nicest people in the game. Oh, such, such a legend. Um, <laughs> but the thing about... <laughs> but the thing about the launch um, and why I sort of wrote what I wrote is because that's not really about a launch. It's what the launch represents or says about where we are, not as a game. The game's quite healthy, I think, generally, as a league, I think. And as a league, as I wrote in my story the other day, we are in a state of purgatory where it is not the FFA's responsibility to run the A-League yet but it's not fully the responsibility of the clubs. Um, they can't do all the things they want to do. FFA are basically uh, washing their hands of it, saying it's not got nothing to do with us. And this event the other day uh, was run by Fox Sports, uh, apparently. Um, and so you have to wonder, is that a you know is that a sign of the extent to which Fox Sports is showing their love to Australian football? Because, you know, there were several clubs that weren't there. Um, there were several clubs that were represented that were not on the list of clubs that were supposed to be there. So um, I don't know what's happened there. I'm not too sure. I've, I've heard stories about some clubs ringing up and being like, hey, why weren't we invited? Isn't this supposed <laughs> to be like a like a season launch? We've saw so much stuff on Twitter the other day about like all these journos that didn't get invited as well, which is yeah. just totally bizarre. Like I only recognised um, James Dodd from Fox, another one mm. of the great guys in the game. Um, but I couldn't. I don't know everyone in Sydney media, so I could be totally wrong here, but I didn't really recognise any other um, working journos aside from maybe one or two other familiar faces. Um, so from that perspective, I, I don't know if it was a success, um, yeah. but for me, it was a representation of everything is a bit confused at the moment mm. and it sucks. It mm. sucks, man. Like, I think we all want to see the league take the next step. I, I desperately want to see it. And right now, as we have been for the last maybe two years, we're stuck in this weird um, space where it's like nobody's really showing it the full love it deserves. 
And the, and that's all about to change because independence will be signed by, by the start of the season and things will pick up and that's great. I can't wait for it. But the problem is, and this is what I've said to so many people over so many months, is that all people see is this disorganised, dysfunctional competition. Um, they don't see any overarching narrative trying to convince them that things are okay. And it's very easy to lose faith and lose hope in the direction of the league when you can't see anything that is there to convince you otherwise. And every day that we're in this sort of damaging purgatory, as I use in the story, is for me another day that gets tacked on to the end of this period where we're hoping to be climbed out of, we're climbing out of a pit, you know what I mean? The A-League's been in this in this pit and we want to get out of this pit. And every day that sort of um, is added to this weight is another couple of rungs on the ladder out of this pit, you know? And we all Big just want up, to get out. Stupid. Exactly. And we all just want to get out and a season launch, uh, I, I see Tanya's comment on there, like it's, um, you know, it, it's a launch. Like we shouldn't act as if this is everything, but it mm. does speak volumes about how things are going. And everyone uh, freely admits behind the scenes, I think, that things aren't going as well as they could behind the scenes. That will change soon and it can't come soon enough. Mm. Yeah, and you know, if we look at it, this is um the big bashes launch. It's very similar. It's at why they keep doing these launches near water, despite having no you know relation <laughs> to water sports. Well, I mean, cricket Hobart. especially, cricket, yeah, cricket especially. A bit of water touches the pitch, and everyone has to go off. So yeah. I don't know why they're there. But the, well, the point is, they're in Hobart. Okay, whatever. But yeah, the yeah. point is that um you know th these launches, yeah, no one cares. No one's ever attended an event because of a launch. You know, there's no there's no Premier League launch, as far as I know. There's no La Liga no. launch. Sorry. You know, whatever. I, I remember going to the launch last year. Um, yeah. they did it at Fox Sports, and I was talking to Ola Toivonen, and he was just like looking around, just like weirded out at the concept. Yeah, like of what is this? He's like, we don't do this in Europe, and it's no. like this is the, it's the Aussiest sport thing ever. Like, I remember we do, we do this, no one else. Do you, do you remember the one? It was the We Are Football launch, and basic because I was a part of it. There was a bunch of pe people who got in kind of they, they shot it from the sky via a helicopter, and we all spelt out We Are Football with like our bodies. Yeah, it's kind of a cool idea, but uh, you know, who cares? It didn't do anything. The fans didn't like, you know, go, Oh my god, we are football. Finally, we're gonna, you know, three years later, they're walking out of stadiums or something like that. So, exactly. forget about the like, launches, let's not worry launches. about it. Launches suck. Like, except if you're a journo who needs to go there to get a whole bunch of stories in. Yeah. Launches don't don't matter. Like the photos are so boring. It's the same. It's twelve people standing next to each other in their jerseys, yeah. um, looking excited for the new season. Like, come on, it's not a, it's not about that. But I guess I think that the underlying thing is we just want to see some imaginative thinking. We want to have a situation where a launch should be a a very one and done. Um, event should be very easy to do a launch and not have any problems and mm. yet we had this launch and nobody really wanted to take responsibility for it um three quarters of the journos who cover the game weren't there um a quarter of the clubs who play the game weren't there it's like i, I don't care whose fault it is but it's like come on we've got to do better than this yeah. generally and specifically about the launch too yeah i look i look i think you know it was I was I was invited, but I was sort of it was I saw an email which was from a Fox Sports PR, which was obviously passed on to Adam Mark, who who's looking after the leagues. Is you know he's still technically with the FFA, but will you know be sort of on loan working with this independent group. 
So I just think, yeah, it was clearly just not very well organised. And then you saw your great photo. Like, I hope that turned that into an Archibald, you know, portrait because it's just up there with the four. <laughs> this the four. It was this just, is Vince's yeah, photo. This is Vince's uh, photo. I, I, I preferred my other photo, to be honest. I preferred, I literally yelled out from the water, like, hey, Buzzer, give us a wave. And he gave us a massive double-handed wave. Well, and it's like, yeah. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And, and, so and just, I, I think just to say to people, look, you know, a few weeks ago, me and Vince both were at the Football Writers Festival and we had a really good chat with, you know, Danny Townsend, who's coming up later, and Simon Pearce. And, you know, look, I understand it's it's easy to kick kick the can or it's easy to kick the A-League, but they are improved. They are trying. I think they're just in this legal bind at the moment. And once they can do things, it'll be – you'll see a lot of positive things. I Like, I think – like I was looking at content last night. All the clubs for me have picked up their content in recent years. I think MacArthur has been pretty impressive in, you know, doing, you know, their videos and stuff, which was not the case when Western United, I thought, first come into the competition. So I think the things that, you know, there's there's good things happening. It's just, it just always happens that it's the one step, you know, one step forward, two steps back narrative. So I think, yeah, Vince, I think, you know, once this is finally done, I think we can finally start to move forward and get the positivity around. Yeah, definitely. Man, the, the, yeah, like the other thing that's important to remember, and you sort of touched on it there, Archie, it's sort of like the last line of my story as well is like, okay, it's only getting better from here. I, like I'm pretty yeah. sure we've got, we've bottomed out as a league, definitely. Exactly. Like exactly. we just went through the, the biggest stress test that you could possibly imagine for the A-League and no club died. The mm. Jets uh, don't have an owner. They're still going to survive. Mm. Like, yeah. It's we we're coming out of this okay. Like we've got yeah. some smart people with their head screwed on who will be negotiating yeah. the next TV deal and all the things that are kind of come next. And things are only going to get better from here. It's just a frustration that we're still here. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And just to give a note to people, so before we go to Brad Rouse, the Melbourne City CEO, 50, only fifteen percent of the A League or the league's revenue comes from broadcast, which is very important moving forward. Whereas a lot of the other sports rely heavily on broadcast deals. So it's just, it's just interesting to know and what Vince was saying about how we all got through this. It's because, you know, it's not so heavily reliant on broadcast. So there are other streams of, you know, revenue and stuff. So it, there are positive signs moving forward. But without further ado, I think we bring on now... Well, uh, well actually, one one second. We've got to, we've got to talk about uh, oh. James Troisi's move to the Wanderers. See, this is why you're not permanent host, Archie. We've got to be honest with you. This is where Lucy's little- not going to make that mistake. <laughs> Brad Rouse is coming on, and we're delighted to have him on. He's going to be on in a second, but we just need to get to the James Troisi uh, talk because everyone everyone was going on about it yesterday. Just as well, get in your comments. Uh, it's been really good to see. Uh, launch aside, this is what Ben Johnson had to say on Facebook. Launch aside, I'm genuinely excited about the A-League season, the clubs investing in own facilities, youth, and surprisingly strong foreign talent this year, especially yep. with the influx of Spaniards. So there is a lot to look forward to. Uh, get your comments in. Tell us what you think about the launch. Tell us what you think about James Troisi's move uh, to the Wanderers because um, that's going to be an interesting one speaking of launches i reckon bruce jitte launched a bit of a rocket yesterday at the press conference uh we're gonna we're gonna run the clip here this is bruce jitte and he was asked about you know the move was he disappointed for you know james troisi to leave adelaide and go sign with uh the wanderers this is before the wanderers had been announced by the way yes initially there were a few players who were actually told that they were free to speak to, to other clubs james was one of those um post-transfer window closing, I think 5 October, I think it closed, 6 October maybe, um, that position changed and that was made clear. Um, But I think what hurts us the most is the timing of it. Ten days out, two weeks out from from the commencement of of the A-League season, 
you know, I love a challenge, but uh, it certainly does make my, my job very difficult in, in, in terms of replacing the player, but it's something that uh, we are working furiously to do at the moment. He's free to play for another A-League club. Um, I'll be extremely disappointed if it is Western Sydney because uh, they inquired about James a couple of months ago and, and we wrote back to him that he's a required player and um, we'd appreciate if they did not approach the player and they subsequently agreed to that and thanked us for you know, the, 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 the feedback. It's football also. Huh? Um, in football, these things happen and, and you know, I'm not going to stand here and, and, and you know, say that we're completely shocked and, you know, because it's, it is sort of part and parcel of the game. Um, the most disappointing thing for us really is that we've put a real emphasis on bringing South Australians back and, and building a team around South Australians and to have one of your, your own um, um, uh, leave is, is always, uh, you know, cuts that a little bit deeper. Look, obviously for, for, for the club and even for James, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you it was a relatively disappointing year in the sense that uh, he had a number of injuries, um, missed, missed a fair bit of the, of the season, um, so never really got to see the best of him really. Um, there's, there's no doubt about, about the guy's quality, he's, he's a very good player. Um, and yeah, look, we wish him the, the best in, in, in the future and, and you know, all those sort of cliches you can, you can throw out. Um, we're just um, a little disappointed it's come so late in the preseason. See, that's my, my favourite. We wish him the best and all the other cliches. Isn't that just like saying, listen, happy birthday, hope you have a great day, all the other cliches, whatever, whatever, you know, happy new year, merry Christmas, cliche, cliche. Clearly, he doesn't wish him all the best, but I, I like it. I like, you know, I think I like Bruce coming out. I like having a strong opinion. I think the round three clash is going to be extra spicy because of it. I'm love. I'm going to love to see James Tracy go to Adelaide. I want to see all the Adelaide fans with snakes, like they did, like Sydney FC fans had for Yanetovic that time. So right, I think it's great. I love everything about this story. To be honest, it is exactly the kind of stuff the A League needs right now. Conflict, man. No one, no one died. Nah. You know, maybe one or two people's got their, hurt, their feelings hurt or whatever. But yeah. you know what, like, keeps the rugby league circus rolling? And we always yeah. sit back and we wonder, why can't we get rugby league coverage in Sydney and stuff like that? It's, it's, it stinks, man. Like, it's mm. biffs. It's it's people yeah. disagreeing with each other exactly. and having their say and conflict. and Box, Boxing makes, and UFC. That's all they do. Is All they yeah. do is manufacture tension. And also, it's crazy. like, European football too, right? Like, yeah. there's always people who disagree with each other transfer controversies and stuff love it love it yeah. both clubs should embrace it and absolutely milk it for all it's worth yep the more the more rivalries the better and let's let's hope so so um james charisi obviously gonna be lining up for the wanderers this year but let's go to melbourne city now melbourne city ceo brad rouse joins us uh brad obviously a big uh big few days for you just talk to us about um the big move yeah, hi, Jens. How are you going? Gee, I feel like getting the boxing gloves on, uh, getting something controversial going after that one. So, <laughs> no, it, had, it has been, uh, and thanks for having us on. It's been a, um, uh, an exciting couple of days of something that's been sort of uh, in, the, in the pipeline for some 12, 18 months. So we've been looking at this opportunity. So, um, no, very exciting. It's, um, we, we're at a stage when we're 
really trying to look at our future. Um, I know you guys were all just talking about the future of the game only a few minutes ago, and, and that's what we're about. It, it has been an incredibly trying time, uh, what we've just come out of for the whole league and every club and every sport in Australia, for that matter, to get through the, the COVID period. Um, but we're at a stage where we're really looking at um, uh, our facilities and how we set ourselves up for the future. And um, something part of the City Football Group is, is almost a fundamental bedrock thing is to get the facilities right. Um, and that sets the tone for a lot of what you do in terms of the professionalism. The um, everything you do sort of spins off from that. Unfortunately, you know we're still within budget constraints, so um, we've done a lot of work over the last 12, 18 months to look at how do we get to the stage ultimately. We get to six pitches that um, service our future for academy growth. Um, you know, uh, female teams and academy, uh, and all our existing teams, and um, structure ourselves for growth and. Um, but we're doing it in a, in a financially responsible sort of way. And, and this this opportunity with the city of Casey down in the southeast of Melbourne in conjunction with Daniel Council um, gives us that opportunity, um, not to mention the, you know, the, the demographics and everything we, we get to tap into. Yeah. So, Brad, can you explain to us exactly kind of what the change is like in the short term and the long term? So what we'll see maybe in the next year or two and then maybe what we'll see in the next 10 years? Yeah, Sure. Well, first up, we're um, not doing anything for for six months, so we're staying put um, at uh, at Latrobe University, where we've been based for ten years now. And um, Latrobe University, I must say, have been absolutely fantastic on this journey. That we have a fully integrated program. We're now thirty percent of our workforce are actually um, uh, ex students who now work for us and in full time capacity. Uh, and we also have a, a fantastic PhD program where the university do a lot of work for us in terms of sports science and um, conversely, we actually, uh, you know, have players and, and staff that are highly, highly educated in that space to, to work with the university PhD program. So there's lots of cross-pollination with the university and, and um, we'll be continuing that partnership uh, long into the future. The only difference will be that we don't reside there anymore. So, but we have a bit of a, um, you know, soft landing that, with that. We will be uh, in our current premises for the next six months. We will move... Uh, in the start of August, and we'll move to uh, Casey Fields, which is a you know 80 acre sport precinct. There's other facilities there, um, you know, cricket pitches and AFL ovals and uh, tennis courts and BMX tracks and cycling criterium tracks. So it's a an incredible hub for sport, and, and we have a section there where we're developing um, uh, you know football presence. But um, that won't happen until uh, it's for six months. Then we'll move there in an interim basis while the rest of the facility gets uh, built. And then in somewhere in 2022, early 2022, we'll move the whole club there. So um, that's kind of the, I guess, the phasing of how that will work in, in the short term. Um, and longer term, yeah, as we as we um, move our operation there, we won't be certainly turning our back on the north of Melbourne uh, or programs that we do in terms of grassroots and community won't be in the rest of Melbourne. We won't be turning our back on those, but we will certainly be putting more more effort and more resource into engaging with the southeast of Melbourne. Vince, yeah, no question about that. Yeah, Brad, um, it's a great move. I think the reaction to the move um, probably shows that it's the kind of thinking people want to see from all clubs going forward, probably at a league level as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the research you guys must have done um, that tells you that this is not only a you know, a, a good opportunity for the future of Melbourne City in terms of the southeastern suburbs uh, of Melbourne, but also, um, you know, I guess that people are going to embrace it as well. There's been a little bit of commentary that um, 
oh, this is a franchise that's piggybacked off the um, off the work of Team Eleven, and um, who, who's to say that people are actually going to embrace it? You guys must have some some hard data and some probably um, some you know some references from people on the ground there that this is a this is a no brainer that will work for you. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. You don't just go and do something um, on a whim. Um, it's something that's been uh, looked at for for some time, close, very very closely, and and uh, a huge amount of engagement. But some of the fundamentals are probably the most compelling. I mean, um, there's a population of one point six million. If you take into account also, you know, Gippsland, which is a well known um, football heartland that takes up to one point nine million. Um, it's been one of the fastest growing areas of Australia uh, for the last ten years. Um, you know, and and incredibly multicultural. I think Dandenong's the number one most multicultural um, town anywhere in Australia, uh, with over 160 nationalities. So that that's really impressive for us. And there's just you know, football's huge. There's 115 clubs. There's 23,000 registered uh, participants. And uh, the unique thing for an AFL-loving state like Victoria in this whole region, football, the, our code, the round ball game, is um, number one code, and that's. That's incredibly compelling for us. So it's compelling. So um, that that's all kind of the the baseline data. Um, and you know we've done lots of work with um, uh, you know talking to fans, talking to um, all different stakeholders of the game, and um, you know people that the unanimous sort of response has really been it's a bit of a no brainer that um, you should be there. The other the other part that. Um, was interesting for us is that um, not by design, but a large portion of our current membership base is in that area. So if you do a heat map of our members, um, yes, they're all over Melbourne. There, there certainly we have mem members and fans in the north, but uh, for some reason we have a, a huge number of fans down in that um, uh, that region. So uh, and that that was something that's also ticked us off early on that this is something we should consider. Can I just um, quickly follow Brad, up on that as well? Sorry, Archie. Um, just on the Team Eleven aspect, I think some people thought you guys were just um, sort of usurping them in some way. But can you talk us through the genesis of this? Because um, my understanding is it was sort of um, prompted by Team Eleven, and that they've been a you know a, a huge help along the way. Yeah, look, it's it's this is probably the sequence how it happened. Is um, we were like all of us, and and you guys would have been at the time when um, Team Eleven were putting their bid forward uh, for us here in Melbourne. We certainly thought. Um, they'd probably get it um, for the same reasons I just outlined as in terms of a, a, such a unique um, geography to be to, to actually own um, and uh, so that that that's one part of it back then when that process was happening we were thinking that is a, a smart move to have a team down there um, and we pretty much went upon the journey ourselves um, however we were respectful to um, you know the team 11 guys that started that you know we, we had a chat to them um, just the other day and there's been a huge amount of respect for the work they've done and we certainly don't want to displace them or, or do anything I, I guess the way I'd phrase it is that um, you know they did a great piece of work originally um, and uh, we we thought um, for all the reasons why they wanted to have a team down there are the same reasons for us and um, you know we've spoken to them and they're um, equally excited and buoyed about um, us being there and I guess they get to have a team down in the region um, with uh, the only difference being a different name and a different colour. It's funny, Brad, you say that about the stadium. I'll never forget David Gallup saying through that expansion process, oh, we're not going to admit them because they, they're going to play Casey Fields. You know, a few months later, they admit, you know, 
um, Western United who go on to play at Geelong, which is, you know, as everyone's, no one's like that. So let's hope that Western United stadium is not too far away. And that's what I was going to ask you about. Team 11 rule, looking at it, getting a stadium down there, is that something that is, is on the cards with this move? Yeah, not, not, no, it's not. I mean, this is, this is, as I said before, the main drivers for us were to get our infrastructure right for football. So um, that's terribly important. We've really outgrown our area at, at Latrobe and we need to find somewhere that um, uh, enables that growth for the future, but also the demographic part that we've just gone through. That was, that's really it. To own that geography, um, where football's first, where there's uh, only one other professional sporting club in that whole region, that's what it's all about. Um, yeah, certainly we've heard about um, um, City of Dandenong and, and Casey looking into a stadium back in the Team 11 days, and um, that hasn't been part of it at, at all. Um, look, if, if they were looking to it in the future and after due diligence and all that sort of thing, then, yeah, of course, we'd have a look at it. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's just specul speculative at this point in time, and um, we're not really – we can't really comment on something that's just speculative. If, if something was brought to the table that said, hey – um, here you go, this is pretty compelling. Um, yeah, we'll have a look at it, but um, not at this point in time. Brad, um, just sorry, Archie, again, my bad. Um, just, just zooming out a little bit, um, uh, I think we know, everyone knows over the last few years, the, the independence wrangles that have happened in, in football. City Football Group was, was a huge influence behind the scenes and sort of um, helping the owners, I guess, collaborate their positions together. Um, City Football Group is, is doing a lot of work behind the scenes as well at the moment about how the A-League is going to look forward. There's a lot of um, resources that have been lent to the league and that, that's quite exciting. Um, and this is a huge move by the City Football Group to basically, I mean, you just built a centre of excellence practically, you know, a few years ago and, and you're now set to, to invest in another one. Does this sort of um, show how serious the City Football Group is about Australian football moving forward? And I guess the kind of things we can expect from all clubs generally in a league where uh, you have the power to, I guess, some, um, you know, craft your own futures? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, in answer to the first part, yeah, the city of um, absolutely committed to um, football in Australia. Um, however, they were frustrated, like um, all club owners, that um, the amount of money that owners put into it, um, there's very difficult to get value back out of that. And, you know, previously, all the owners really had was they owned a participation agreement and uh, everything they put into it really wasn't going to something that, that could actually um, create value or um, or equity for the future. So um, I think that's why we're, we're all um, pushing to get this unbundling so that um, clubs can can actually take hold of their uh, their own future and, and invest and, and create value. So um, I think that you know, this is our move now is predicated on on this unbundling. That, that's what it's about, and um, I'm very buoyant that I think over the coming years we'll get more clubs doing this sort of thing to um, set themselves up. But there has been a reluctance in the past because it's been very difficult to to make the the financial modelling work. Brad, I, it sounds very exciting, and I cannot wait to hear the word. I mean, I can't wait to stop hearing the word unbundling forever after this whole process. It's, it's, I've heard it way too much. It reminds me way too many, way too much of telco packages. But um, Brad, thanks so much for joining us today um, and really excited for the future. And it's, yeah, can't wait for the season to kick off. No, pleasure, guys. Great to, have, great to be on. Thanks very much. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. And we also say farewell to Vince Regari. Vince, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, parting comments from you. Oh, uh, you know, get excited. 
little bit, I reckon. Like off the back of that chat with Brad and I guess our earlier chat, the A-League has hopefully bottomed out and we're going to see some things improve very soon. We've waited far too long, in my opinion, for the uptick, um, but it's coming and I, I've got a good feeling about this season. So uh, Actually, Vince, I want to ask you, yes. with a little bit of a debate going on Twitter, what should the derby between uh, MacArthur and Western oh. Sydney Wanderers be? <laughs> Old. I suggested El, El Janico because there's a bunch of El Jana restaurants that go along the divide. If, if you know Sydney, Sydney is very well defined by where the fast food yes. places are, basically. You can basically you can structure Australia's kind of like Sydney's classism based on the, where the fast food places are. But El Jana is very much in that uh, line between the Wanderers and MacArthur. But what, what is your suggestion? What do you think it should be called? Definitely not what is a battle for the West that uh, the A-League yeah. tweeted out this week. Yeah, that sucks. First of all, oh, shout out to God. Justin Parker. Um, I think we've commented on the show previously. <laughs> that is a magnificent head of hair. That is so good. Good jacket too. Um, yeah. But I think I've made my uh, stance clear on the uh, the derby. Um, Battle of the West is boring, unimaginative. Come on, we can do better than that. Cumberland derby, in my opinion, because uh, everyone get on Wikipedia or get your atlas out or whatever. Um, the Cumberland Plain is basically this big section of Sydney which connects the western Sydney and the mm. southwest and does not include any other part of Sydney. So, like... If you're looking for the name of a derby that is between a team in Western Sydney and Southwest Sydney, I don't understand how you could possibly go past that. Cumberland derby, it may not immediately spring to mind, oh, it's an A-League game, but over time it will. A, a little mm. bit like the uh, the F3 derby, you said F3 to people before, it was a road, but in a football context, it means something. And I think Cumberland derby has the same um, potential to do so for football. I don't care what they're going to officially call it. Um, with the uh, with the the force of soccer Twitter behind me, I'm just going to start calling it the Cumberland Derby. I reckon, and uh, we will win. All right, El Janico, it is for it. me. But, uh, we'll, see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what wins out. We'll see what wins out. Let us know in the comments uh, what you want the Western Derby to be. But yeah, Vince, we got to let you go. See, you. thanks, guys. Thank Have a good show. Thanks, Vincenzo. Let's talk. We've talked enough league. Let's talk W League now, and let's bring in Melbourne City goalkeeper Melissa Barbieri. Um, not, only, not only goalkeeper, not only well, goalkeeper, two paychecks, oh, yeah. assistant coach as well. <laughs> Bubs, and, are, and, you getting, and, are you getting the two paychecks? That's what we want to know. Well, hey, the personal questions aside, please. <laughs> okay, tell us I just, how. I do a lot of work. That's all I know. You, that's all you need to know is I do a lot of work. Listen, we work in media. You've always got to try and get the double paychecks going on, you know, the, the separate roles on separate things. But tell us about the role. What is it like to be a player and a coach and, and how is that working? Um, honestly, I just go about business like I always do. Um, to be fair, I've, I've always been that sort of player that uh, talks a lot, communicates a lot and uh, is a student of the game and wanting to basically get my players on the same page and doing what the coach asks. And, and honestly, I just, I just do uh, my natural thing every day and I don't really feel like I'm an assistant coach. I feel like, um, you know, just another team member. Um, Rado does his job so very well that I, I pick up basically um, just little questions and things off off the park that girls might have and just um, making sure they feel included and valued uh, as a squad member. 
Bubs, um, how excited are you for the W League season? Me personally, I'm really excited to see all the opportunities these younger players are going to get with obviously a lot of our Matildas going over to, to England. Um, I'm sure you're the same. I, I think it's going to be a really good over the next few years with the Women's World Cup um, coming up in 2023. Is that how you see it? I do. I just want to uh, – I'm, I'm kind of upset that, you know, with a lot of the Matildas uh, vying for, you know, European contracts and things that – the W League has been, I don't know, faltered down to a lower level. Some people were calling it the Development League now and things like that, and I just think um, that doesn't represent what we're trying to build um, as a nation for this league. I think we, we want to propel our league to be one of the best in the world, and it can be. Um, and unfortunately for a lot of the players that went overseas, they, they have realised that um, the grass is not always greener in the European leagues. They do play for longer, um, so they do have that above us. But other than that, our, our facilities, our structure, our football um, and the quality of people that we have in our game actually, you know, not, not only equals but can sometimes supersede. Uh, those of the European, um, you know, leagues overseas. So as much as I, I want to say I'm looking forward to the youth, um, you know, coming through, I think a lot of the players um, that have returned to the W League uh, are looking at it with a bit more gratefulness um, and eyes open in terms of what we actually have in this country and not to badmouth it so much um, moving forward. And, and, you know, credit to them. They have gone overseas and they have... Um, you know, looked at it and say, look, hold on, you know, the level is basically the same. Um, we just got to play for longer to, to have it match those of the other countries. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. And we, we've seen it with Jenna McCormack's uh, back at uh, Melbourne City. Uh, Alira Toby, who we had on the show last week, she was in Portugal. You know, it didn't work out. She's come back now to Sydney FC, have picked her up, and I think that's a great signing. So there are a lot of players coming back. There's a lot of things to be excited for, including, you know, Lisa Devanna, uh, Melbourne Victory. Uh, you know, what's that going to be like for you coming up against one of your former Matilda's teammates? But obviously now your rivals on the pitch with City and Victory. How do you think that's going to go? Oh, it's always exciting um, playing against Devanna. You never know what you're going to get um, on the day. And I think it's only good for our, our league to have all these players coming back, especially, you know, all the players that have signed for Brisbane Raw uh, have come back from stints in Norway. And th those leagues match up well with the W League, so they can actually play both. And for all of them to go back and sign for Brisbane Raw, their home state, really bodes well for, you know, Queensland and, you know, it's going to be great for women's football up there. And just having all these players re-sign, especially like a player like Michelle Heyman, um, who in my eyes stepped out of the game too early, um, but now is seeing the benefits of, of returning to play for Canberra United. So I think as much as, you know, players think they're old in the tooth, I can't talk because I'm definitely old in the tooth. Um, we've got to find value in ourselves in our older years to stay in the league longer so that we have the experience around the younger players coming through because you can't, you can't teach experience and if you want these players to step up too early, you know, injuries occur, mental health issues occur. We want too much of them too early. So the older heads actually have to stay in the game longer so that we can... Um, we can teach, we can mould because it's too much for coaches to take on board if we want them to do it all themselves. 
Bubs, do you think, um, obviously, we're going to probably hopefully see a few expansion teams come in, even maybe three to get to a 12-team competition and over the next few years bring in more and more. Do you think a lot of the players will start to keep coming back as the league, you know, solidifies itself as as back to being one of the, the, the top leagues in the world? It's already up there, but, I mean, in competing with, you know, your NWSLs and what they're doing in England with this league. Yeah, I think... I- at the end of the day, it's about how much our league can support the players that are playing in it. So if you want expansion teams, I really think that we should have a full home and away season first um, and then paychecks to help support females play for longer periods during the year. Um, and then from there, you'll see a lot of our uh, top-class Matildas return Um, and play for our league because ultimately we want our league to succeed Um, and they've had to go overseas to Europe to change the way they play. But, you know, once they get that sort of European culture football um, under their belt and they're looking for something new, coming back into a W league that they can help um, reinvigorate would be uh, crucial for them and I think they would be very excited to come and help and do that. So... Uh, at the end of the day, we need the platform and the foundation for our girls to, to play longer. Um, you know, at the moment, we've, we've had to shorten the season um, in terms of length and to fit all the games in, um, you know, but still girls have to have second jobs and things to make sure that they're supported outside of the W League. So I would know, I would have no better job than to play W League all year round. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, another Melbourne City player, Scott Jamison, who says, Nick needs to stop nodding to everything Bub says. First of all, when people say say sense, it's involuntary. I just nod. go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you're just speaking a lot of sense. Jamo, if you come on the program, maybe I'll nod to you. Maybe I won't. And may, may, it depends on what you say. But anyway, I wanted to ask you. <laughs> just shake it. Just, no, no, I don't know why we got this guy on. Shout-out, Jamo. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I wanted to ask one final question. Uh, you went to four World Cups. Right, you know, how has the Women's World Cup changed from your first World Cup to where we're going in 2023, which is a World Cup on home soil? And how much does that mean to you? Like that journey, that arc to me, you know, must be incredible from your eyes as someone who's seen it, played it for, and now, you know, there's a World Cup 2023 on home soil. Um, for me, the World Cup is the, the pinnacle of, um, you know, world football and. I've never, ever felt when I went to a World Cup that it w- we were not being watched or anything like that. I think every time uh, I have been to a World Cup, so, you know, my first one was in the US, you know, 90,000 in stadiums. Um, you know, for me, the World Cup has always, always been massive. You know, China was absolutely huge, sixty to 90,000 people in stadiums. Germany, even bigger. So... The rest of the world has always been, um, you know, huge fans of women's football. It was, it's just taken the rest of, um, you know, the population or Australia exactly to, to realise um, what we have in our hands with uh, us Matildas and, and what we have achieved in the, in the past. And I think um, having the 2023 World Cup will no doubt... Um, it's, it's, I feel like it's going to wake a sleeping dragon um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the rest of the population. I really feel like all the people that have been on the fence or always had something bad to say about women's football but never actually watched the game, 
they're going to be pleasantly surprised. Oh, I think you said it perfectly, Mel. I think they can't underestimate how big this is going to be. And the Matildas have, I think, carried probably Australian football in recent years and 2023 can't come soon enough. And thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck this W League season and um, always welcome here. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, from the W League, we go back. Well, this is everything. This is all leagues. This is E-League. This is NYL. This is A-League. This is W League. And we go to Sydney FC CEO, Denny Townsend. Denny, how are you today, mate? Very good. Thanks, fellas. Very good. How are you? I'm very, very good. Well. Very good. Now, Denny, when is Independence Day? <laughs> you tell me. We both know. No, look, we're, we're, we're getting very, very close. You know, there, there's ongoing conversations every day at the moment that are that have got their fair share of challenges, as I've sort of said on social media. It's a generational change uh, for the governance of the game, and it's something we've got to get right once. You can't unravel these things once you once you've made these decisions. So I think it's prudent that everyone uh, works through um, the detail, and, and we're doing that with the FFA, and, and yeah, making really good progress. So, Danny, we, we know it's going to be soon or we're hoping it's going to be soon any day now. What I kind of wanted to know is what is it going to look like in the short term and in the long term? What is it What is it that we're going to be able to, like, noticeably see kind of as football fans? Because obviously there'll be a lot of work in the background, which we won't be able to see so much. But what will we see yeah. in those first few kind of weeks and months of the new independent unbundled A-League? Well, frankly, I don't think you'll see a huge change in in the in a matter of months. You know, we're we're already a long way down the track of of the upcoming season, and and as we we see it as a transition season in our final year of our existing broadcast arrangement, um, you know, our, our CBA structure or or um, a variation of that that's in place is is set. Um, so really, I, we see that the next season is the one where where our, our independent entity will be able to make a huge difference. Um, notwithstanding that, we're, we're very much committed to doing what we can once we get, as we've said, the keys to the car. Um, and, and you'll definitely see a, a, a committed bunch of owners really wanting to grow the game because that's what we've wanted and what we've worked for, for for many years to get to where we are in this separation process. And and equally, you'll see us working closely with the FFA on, on many things, commercial particularly, but equally how we, we work on youth development and the pathways and the various things that we need to do to be good partners in the game. So, yeah, I don't think you'll see anything change dramatically day one, but you should start to see a, a gradual shift in, in the entrepreneurial thinking around how the game's uh, put together. Just talk to some of those initiatives that could, we could see for next season. Is it going to be, you know, a different marketing campaign, different? What are some of those different initiatives that the clubs and yourself are looking at? Yeah, really, really focused on, on a digital first proposition and a transformation digitally of our game. It's, you know, we've got an amazing youth demographic profile that supports our game and plays our game and, and being able to, to really engage them um, in a more effective manner is something that we feel really strongly about and have got a lot of plans in place to to bring that to life. So I think that's going to be a really key part of it. And that then dovetails into how you, you market the game and what the fan experience is like because, you know, we, we want to engage as many people as we can to, to um, have an interest in the A-League and the W-League, but equally we want them coming to the games and having a great time. And I think fan experience is probably something that uh, we really need to knuckle down on and, and do a better job. 
Uh, Danny, when it comes to kind of the broadcasting of the A-League, there's always a lot of talk about us kind of, you know, us as in Australian football having their own broadcasting, you know, streaming service. You know, there's talk about kind of a, a Netflix for Australian football, whatever. What do you think and what are the clubs talking about kind of long term? Because we know that it's an option that some sports have taken, you know, with, with combining it with a, a partner. What do you think is kind of the ideal version that you and the other clubs would like to see going forward in, in two or three years' time? Yeah, the broadcast landscape is changing by the day. And, and you know, when you look at where we were um, probably six months ago, the landscape was fairly rigid. And, and what we've seen, the transition of the marketplace over the last three to four months has, has already given us other options that, that we probably didn't have to explore um, six months ago. But, look, ultimately, wherever we go, in my opinion, will be in a hybrid environment where we're going to have to take control of our content and distribute it to the biggest possible audience we can for the best possible price we can and return for the game. And that might be a compromise in that we might decide to maybe take less money to open up a greater audience. And when you take a risk around going down a direct consumer path that we've talked about previously, um, that may not yield the best financial return in the short term, but it might open up a much wider group of people to engage in our game, which will drive a lot of the other revenue streams we have, such as dependent membership and sponsorship. So I, I don't think we should, as a game, look at our broadcast rights in, in isolation. It needs to be looked at as part of the overall objective of growing the entire commercial pie for the game. And that's something you've touched on in comparison to other sports. That's really one of the positives you said for football. It's not so heavily reliant on on the broadcast funding. And do you see that? Do you think that's the best thing to have one sort of home? Obviously, you see what's happening with rugby. They've obviously gone all to stand. Is that, do you think, the ideal thing where it's all in one place and people can just go in there, watch their football? What, what do you think is the best case scenario? I still believe that in, at the moment it's a hybrid model where you, you, you need adjacency. I think if we go and take football and put ourselves on an island, then then I think we, we risk being pushed even further away from the mainstream. I think it's about building stronger media partnerships across multi-channels, whether that be through newspapers, print, online, digital, um, traditional subscription TV, free-to-air. We, we need we need a, a, a strategy that covers an omni-channel sort of presence. And, and, and that will then lead itself to greater revenue. To your point, Adrian, around our percentage and reliance of, of um, broadcast revenue for our game is significantly less, unfortunately, than, than some of the other codes. But equally, that pre represents a real great opportunity for us to, to take some risks and do things that um, I think are in the best interest of the long-term viability of our leagues. Sorry, Tyler, just, just, sorry, sorry, one just quick one. Is it a bit like, are you looking to like, obviously in the Premier League, it's on, you know, multi-channels as well. You've got like BT, you've got your Skies, and especially in like the NFL and NBA, you've got, you know, NFL's almost on 40, CBS, Fox, ABC, it's all ESPN, it's all over the place. And I know in Australia, it's very much one channel gets it all, always, all the time. And there's, there's rarely, is that something you look at at what's been done in other sports across the world, which has been the norm for so long, that something that could work for football in this country? Yeah, non-exclusive rights, I think, are probably a, a lot more viable now than they possibly were in the past, given that multi-channel approach that you need to take. So that's definitely a consideration. I think we've got to be careful looking at markets like the US as a benchmark just because the scale of them, you know, they can afford to do that. I think for us, we still need – what we don't want is a, a fan sitting there going, where the hell am I watching this game tonight? I don't know where it is. We've got to make sure, you know, in my view, at a, at a minimum, we orientate all of our content in one place. And then where we go and place that, to open up wider audiences is is where the where the strategy comes to life. But I think ensuring that if you if you know where to get it and you know it's going to be the same place every single time, then that's the sort of thing we need as a base level, and we can be creative from there. 
Um, this is the People's Shows, and we love when people get their questions in, including Justin Parker. Justin has asked, Danny, from a club's perspective, how was this year's ACL perceived? Considering the costs involved and almost demand to compete in such an extreme year, was it worth it? Because we did hear a lot of stories about how expensive it was going to be in terms of going over, then coming back, having to pay for quarantine, you know, training while in quarantine, all these issues coming into the new season. You know, it was very difficult, all, all that stuff. But from the club's perspective, how did you perceive that? Look, from a club's perspective, we always look at performance first and, and you know, we didn't progress out of the group, which was disappointing for us. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the standards we set and what we expect from our club on the field, we, we would have to be disappointed with that outcome and we are disappointed. What uh, From a financial perspective, it was equally disappointing because it was an expensive process to go through to, to play, um, but we understood our obligations as, as qualifying and representing Australia and, and the players have done a and, and the staff have done an enormous job to actually to, to fulfil that obligation and that's not something we take lightly. So if you ask me as a as a CEO of a club, I, I think it was fantastic for us to be able to just go and fulfil those obligations. We're able to open up a lot of young talent to some amazing opposition that that I think acquitted themselves really really well, um, which will stand us in good stead for the future. But you know, if you ask the players and the coaches who are sitting in quarantine at the moment out at Norwest, um, they're probably not enjoying it as much as maybe I did watching it on television. But um, <laughs> yeah, to their credit, they, they did what they got to do. They're professionals. They, they got on with it with very little complaint. So I'm um, yeah, really proud of them. And you're 100% right. My um, my wife is in a mother's group with Michael Zullo's wife who had twins and he yes. had to leave for six weeks. So that, if don't ever give like that is a that is a lot of commitment from Michael. I think a lot, of, a lot of if, if you know, you're a young kid, he's had six weeks of great sleep. Like he was <laughs> the first one to put his hand up to go. Yeah, exactly right. He goes, like just, yeah, let me let me stay. I want I want to see how the final pans out. Uh, there we go. All right, yeah. now I'm speaking as the one with the three month old here. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's let's talk about, continue that talk on finances, Danny, because I know there's a bit of talk about um, one of the restraints in getting a new player in for City has been, you know salary cap and moving forward do you think the salary cap should remain in place when the league does go independent what, what's your thoughts on the whole salary cap yeah i think you've got to look at all of these things in, in together you can't address one of these these regulations or one of these sort of frameworks for the game they, they all they all interlock and i think you know we've got a lot of uncertainty around what happens at the end of this this um current season we're working really hard with the ffa and equally ourselves independently to ensure that uh, very soon after we we um, we take charge of, of our destiny. That we've got some real clear plans around when the next season starts, what our broadcast and, and um, content distribution strategy looks like, and then how we're able to fund uh, that league to ensure that it it prospers. You know that those things I don't think you can prescribe ahead of time. You need to consider them as part of the overall mix of of considerations that need to need to be gone through. Uh, Danny, I wanted to ask a question that we got on Twitter before the show from Graham Fletcher. He wanted to know, how is progress going on Sydney FC's academy and when do you expect the new Sydney football stadium to be ready to host matches again? By academy, I assume Graham means our centre of excellence. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what he means, yeah, the, the yeah. building. Yeah, we, we've we've got plans to have that complete by um, the end of 2022. We're about to, to go through a process of finalising um, construction tenders, we're really excited about the project. It's, it's something we've been working on 
you know, for a bunch of years now, um, the club has never really had a home uh, for its entire club to put all of our, our youth footballers, our women and male footballers under one roof with our administration and having some facilities that, that are world-class, you know, it's going to be a game-changer for our club. Um, it, but equally, it will coincide with the stadium being complete, which will be mid-2022. So we should be in our centre of excellence sort of towards the end of 2021. And in 2022, we'll have a brand new stadium to play out of. So, you know, two really exciting infrastructure projects for the club that coincide with the unbundling and, and various other things that are going on that, that really make for an exciting couple of years for us. I don't know. I don't know. We've obviously played a lot of games out at Cogra this year and there's been the talk with, you know, the, the NRL's asking for four mini new stadiums around Sydney. One of those could be at Cogra. Could that be an option potentially after a few years at the SFS for Sydney? But Potentially, because I know the crowds have been good there. What's the sort of the what sort of your options that in that situation? Yeah, we've got three more years left of I think it's four actually. Sorry, of a venue hire agreement that we we need to complete um, when we move back into the stadium, and, and our intention is to extend that unless there's a reason not to do that. And the great thing about the journey we've been on the last couple of years is that we've proven that you know we are able to exist in in those suburban stadiums. Um, and our crowds have, have demonstrated our fans enjoy it. Um, you know, I personally enjoy the atmosphere in this, the smaller grounds, as most football people do, um, particularly rectangular venues. So I think it's really important that, you know, as a as a, a new uh, future A-League, we, we really consider the, the stadiums we play in as a collective to ensure the best quality fan experience, the best quality um, at, or picture on television as well. Um, you don't want to see empty seats in stadiums. So look, we'll take all those things in consideration. The great thing is now we do have options. I think prior to being forced down this path, we probably didn't feel we had those options. Um, but I think now we, we definitely do and we'll consider those when the time comes. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, everyone should know that uh, A-League memberships are available right now. And I was looking up the price for Sydney FC. You can go see Sydney FC, 21 bucks a game, basically, it works out as the uh, general mission. I think that's a great deal. Or whoever you support, go out and buy a membership. Uh, I think that would be uh, great because uh, the season's starting soon. And Sydney FC uh, playing Melbourne City in the first game. Uh, I believe that's at uh, Cogra, right? That's Yeah, Cogra on the 30th of the month. It's, it's typically one of the best drawing games for us. Uh, in between Christmas and New Year, people in Sydney tend to stay around during that period yeah. before they go on holiday. And um, last year we played City in that exact same window and got our, outside of our derby, our biggest crowd. And the fact it's our first game, it's a double header with the W League, double header grand final. Yeah, we're hoping for a sellout. So um, yeah, excited by that. And then yeah, you so head down. Go check that out. And then you head down to Wollongong to play Wellington, and the, you. I think that game should at easily draw more than ten, as someone from Wollongong. Uh, don't that, but. <laughs> I think that game should draw more than 10,000. Like, Sydney have a big big fan base down there, and if the fans travel, it'll be beautiful down there. You can just ring your mates up. No problem. We're actually playing a home game there this, this year for the, the first time in a long time. So, yeah, we, we're keen to, to unlock our supporter base down there. But realistically for me down there, it's more about just giving that area, which is such a great football uh, part of New South Wales, some – some A-League content, W-League content, and the Wellington team being there for one season is great. But, you know, hopefully into the future there's there's more A-League football down down the south coast. Um, we had we had, we had Bibby on last week and we were talking about is there a, is there a striker in the works? Obviously, Links, Bobo, where, where's the club at with, you know, getting a player in before the season starts? Yeah, look, it's an interesting time, actually. We, there's a lot of players out there that, that 
are available and wanting to come to Australia, which is great because of, you know, probably how we've handled COVID and, and probably their homelands aren't performing so well in those stakes. So, you know, we do have a lot of interest. At the same time, we're not going to panic and jump on the first person. Well, we haven't because we've gone through probably about 50 of them um, <laughs> to find the right one. And, and, you know, the window opens again in January and, um, you know, I think that more more players will come available then, and we'll probably get a better assessment of what's what's going on. But look, we're, we're constantly reviewing players at the moment, and um, yeah, confident we'll sign one soon. Um, before I before you ask the question, um, Matthew Pappas asks, how many Sydney FC members have signed up as of today? We have about thirteen thousand uh, at the moment, which which is on track to to our target, which is to continue to break our records. One of the focuses you would have seen, Nick, as you were sort of looking at our membership prices, we've decreased our membership prices over mm. the last three years to really focus on uh, the volume of members we've got rather than the yield that we make out of, of their um, their investment in our club. So uh, by doing that, we've really opened up the number of people that, that are attached to our club on a regular basis to try and grow that audience. That means when we do move back into our new stadium, our, our membership is is much bigger than it was when we left. So we've been fortunate the first two years. You know, obviously, performance on the field does help, uh, ensuring that members continue to stick with the club. But, you know, we saw during COVID the, the way our members supported our, us through, you know, um, you know, just being patient around us fulfilling our membership obligations to the club. You know, one of the proudest part of our, our transition through that period was that we had one member send us an email asking for a refund which you know out of i think 16,000 members we had last year is, is is a testament to how great our members are so yeah we're grateful for them it's shaping up nicely for us it was probably a little bit slower in the sense that it took us a while to get that fixture list out but once that fixture list came out a couple of weeks ago things are kicked along again so yeah looking good yeah, and I think it's looking good uh, right across uh, the league. I was looking at a bunch of prices. I think I'm going to do a story on it this week. But a lot of uh, clubs are about 20 bucks, 15 bucks a game if you get that for an adult for that kind of general admission, and then it goes up depending on where you want your seat and stuff like that. But, you know, it compares very favourably to the likes of AFL, to the likes of NBL, which is in season, and all the other kind of season tickets that I could find. So I encourage everyone to get out there and buy an A-League membership or if, you, you know, if you're not an A-League fan, whatever, go buy an NPL membership. Just support the game. I think that's important. Go watch football, I think, is what we want. Yeah, any, exactly. any time, any time. That's, that's what we need. So, yeah, it's a good message. Danny, when can you not uh, wait to hear the word unbundling one more time? Is, 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 how, how many times have you heard the word unbundling in the past year? Well, how many times today or the past year? Because today <laughs> probably already a thousand. Um, I had, had the pleasure of sitting in the FFA this morning for a couple of hours with the guys and we probably said it a hundred times then. But uh, it's it's been a really tiresome process for everyone on all sides. Um, it was never going to be easy. But, look, I think the spirit in which we've gone about it together has been has been has been great because you know it's not like a, a traditional m a process where you you buy and sell something and you never speak to the person you bought it from ever again you know we have to coexist as partners in the game and we want to make sure we do that in a real positive way so we've been really conscious of maintaining that relationship as we've worked through some of the more trickier parts of the negotiation but yeah happy to say we're very close and just just before i let you go is will it definitely be done before the start of the season or is that is it just so much is that too scary to say? What's the go? What is it? Where can we no, say? No, I think all the in-principle agreement will be done before then. Um, whether there's constitutional things that need to happen, um, they may happen in due course. But in terms of the agreement to unbundle, it will definitely happen before the season starts. And, yeah, we'll get on with um, trying to make the most of the transition year and, and really look forward to what we can do in the years, years after that.
And I could just imagine all the legal documents. I, that's why oh. I didn't be a lawyer. I, I wasn't a very good reader at high school, but I think I've read more uh, pages of words on it in the last uh, <laughs> in, in my 13 years of schooling. So, uh, <laughs> Fantastic, Denny. Denny, thanks so much as always for joining us, mate, and uh, can't wait for the seasons to get underway. Uh, not long now. And, um, yeah, Sky Blue's looking to uh, continue their dominance of the A-League. Yeah, look, that'd be nice. And I do have a suggestion for the, the, the derby out there that you were talking about before I jumped on with you. I think the manure derby might be one. That, uh, <laughs> oh, shots well. fired. I love it. Oh, this is what we need. We said we wanted conflict. I love it, Danny. Yeah, That's yeah, it. The manure derby. So throw that out there to JT and Gino and see what I'm <laughs> um, no marketing genius, but I think that sort of fits quite nicely. Oh, oh, shots fired. I love it. This yeah, is what we need. This is a launch. This is how we launch the season. Yeah, you could almost have the launch on Cow Pasture Road. There you um, go. All right. There you all go. Right. Vince wants to talk about Cumberland. There you go. Cow Pasture <laughs> Road. Derby. Perfect. Danny, thanks, Danny. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me on. See you guys. Um, well, from Denny Townsend, and we uh, go to Ahmed Youssef, a fellow SBS colleague. Ahmed uh, from The Feed, who has written a great piece in our mobile. Ahmed, how are you, mate? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm um, good. Are you in the Are you in the same building as Nicholas? Yeah. <laughs> just trying to just found a way, uh, just a place to sort of hide away and do the yeah do the do the call. Now, um, just talk to us about your piece you've written on our words. It's very interesting, obviously for the feed. Um, just talk to us about um what you got to know about him, and yeah, just talk to us about what he revealed. Well, basically, um, it was interesting uh, talking to him, and he was very sort of open just about how he's been feeling um, about the coverage he's received, um, how he feels he's been sort of labelled as the refugee footballer, how people aren't really trying to look into his story apart from that sort of that sort of narrative. And it's been something that he's had to deal with over the years. And even admits um, he's sort of gone, gone along with it just because that's the only thing he's been offered to talk about. And I gave him a call um, last week, uh, the week before last, and, and just said, hey, um, what do you think about your coverage? And he just sort of unloaded. And I think he says basically, like, if you want to know the real automobile, well, you just need to have an honest conversation with me. Mm. And we've actually got a clip uh, that we're going to play now um, from the interview. So let's have a listen. And downgrade me to say, you know, he's a refugee, is this or that. But at the end of the day, I'm just a human uh, and we're all human. And, and for me, I value my, my being rather than the title that some people put on me. Because I, I am Australian. I have Australian passport. I am South Sudanese. My, my, my parents are from South Sudan. So I am very proud of, of my roots. Uh, <laughs> But in the middle, uh, I'm called a refugee, aren't I? Yeah, so it's very interesting um, thing that he spoke, and I thought he really spoke really well. It's good to kind of see a player be so honest and open and and discuss uh, the way he is perceived. I, I thought it was a fantastic story that he did, and I encourage anyone who didn't see it to check it out. Uh, you can just search Mobile the feed. It should be the first thing that comes up on Google. But, uh, Ahmed, how do you think this is going to change the conversation uh, around AWA going forward? Well, I guess now it sort of provides a prompt, you know what I mean? Like um, he's now sort of opened up about this particular bit of coverage he feels he's received, right? So the next time, I guess, a 
a journalist talks to him or whoever chats with him, they'll be cognizant of that, I guess. Um, but I also just, it's, it's really interesting because it, it wasn't like I, was, I, I spoke to him for like hours upon hours to get him to sort of reveal all these things. We had like a right. half an hour chat and just sort of opened up um, in, in his car after training with, with Michelin, you know? So I think he's been meaning to talk about this and it's just about having the right kind of avenue and having a question that's open enough for you to be able to, um, to actually speak your truth. And mm. I didn't, and I'm sure people noticed um, sort of after he scored his Champions League goal, um, there was a lot of social media stuff around the lack of coverage. Um, and he was definitely on social media sort of, I guess, either liking posts or sort of just subtly hinting at his sort of disappointment, right? And I guess that was a signal for anyone who was interested in chatting with him to, to actually go and say, hey, Awa, what's up? Because I, because I, yeah, because I think I was after I did the interview. I was, I was thinking like it was like it was almost midnight, um, and I was like, when was the last time a Socceroo spoke this openly and honestly about the way they feel they're being covered? Like yeah. I, I really couldn't think of anyone. Yeah, and in a way, because no one is covered like Awa Mobilis. No one is kind of covered mm. in that way where they're given that Awa Mobil. A refugee, you know, it's not. It's, it, I would say mm. probably we and one of the few places who we just uh, cover. I mean, we've told that story as well of Awa kind of earlier in his career. But when we're covering him on the Champions League, we're just saying, you know, Socceroos winger Awa Mobile scores uh, for against Ajax, you know, in the Johan Cruyff Stadium, and what a story that is! The only Australian that we had in the Champions League uh, this year, and that's guess why it's disappointing to see the coverage in the wider outlets, the more mainstream outlets, because to me it's a huge story what AWAR is doing. It's incredible. This is an Australian achieving on the world stage. Uh, and, you know, we're not seeing that reflected in the same way that maybe we see, you know, international people like uh, Daniel Ricciardo doing really well in F1. You know, that's an Australian doing well in a global sport. Uh, ben Simmons is an Australian doing well in a global sport as well. We're not seeing the same level of coverage for AWAR and Bill, and I think that's disappointing. I also think, um, and I and I do think it's interesting uh, that not many people talk about the club he chose to go to. Like Michelin's not just some random European club. They're widely seen as like this, like innovative force, thinking about the way sports science and analytics and all these particular things of how to get an edge in sport. Right? They 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 came up from just like being nowhere. Like when we think about Danish football, we think Rosenberg, we don't think yeah. Michelin, you know? And so that choice in itself is for our, is I think understated. And um, I remember he was talking about sort of, he could have went back to Australia. Um, he thought about it, but, and, and that's the thing a lot of people have spoken about with Australian footballers leaving Europe too soon and coming back to the A-League. And that's a conversation in its own right. Um, but he chose not to and he stuck it out and he won the league last year. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a great piece and I, I really recommend everyone to take a look at it. Um, it's, it's fantastic. But it'd be remiss of me not to ask you about Arsenal. You're obviously an Arsenal supporter. Um, Arteta in or Arteta out? What's what's going on? What's happening? I can't. It's the results obviously aren't there, but what's 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 the go? Uh, I'm I'm Arteta in at the moment. Um, I think he's. 
I think uh, it's not looking like it, but I really do think he's a generational talent. Um, <laughs> Be cool at I, the moment. I, Be cool hey, at the well, moment. Well, people can, well, anyway, that's that. That's a neat point. Um, but I do think, particularly uh, when we think about modern football, structure is so important. And you look mm -hmm. at Arsenal um, over the last few years. There's been so much turmoil and so much sort of so many people coming and going and. At the moment, you have this super young executive team, you know, like um, you've got Vinay Vinkenshev, I'm, I'm saying his name wrong, but the CEO, he's, I think, late 30s. You've got Edu, who's like early 40s. You've got Atera, late 30s. And these, these guys are running the club. And there's such a lack of sort of football experience when we think of someone like, I don't know, like a Ralph Ragnick who currently does not have a job, but someone like that to be in that spot before we obviously had sort of um, the very controversial roles and lay and the dealings and, and the sort of agent deals became a big thing in, in sort of the way people talked about Arsenal. But I think it's, I think really it's about looking at the moves they've made, like signing Lillian when Pepe was, when Pepe plays his position and then Lillian sort of not doing much. Um, signing David Luiz for another year, um, signing Cedric um, in this weird sort of situation where he would have been free in the summer, but you get him anyway. And then also, why would you sign this like, late 20s right back who Southampton don't even want. So it's like there's so many issues. And then also the Shaka situation, right? And the lack of care or thought when it comes to sort of thinking about a future in terms of the midfield. There's, Arsenal doesn't have a midfield. They've not had a midfield for a very long time. Thomas Party, when he plays, just stands there trying to put together some, some broken glass. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a... It's it, it's a mess, and I don't think it's solely on Arteta. Like you can't be sort of praising a guy who takes you from literal ashes to win a cup final against Chelsea, and then six months later be like, yeah, he's he's not here. He's not the guy. There's there's things happening, and I think um, a lot needs to change. But time will tell about that change. Um, we do love to see your comments coming in. Alex Sivkarovsky says, lol, Nick laughing at Arsenal. Checks to see where Barcelona is, I assume he means. Listen, Alex, Barca suck right now, all right? So the only joy that I get from football is seeing other teams suck and laughing at them, all right? Real Madrid, I thought they were in trouble a week ago. They almost knocked out of the Champions League. There was talk of Zidane's going to get fired. They've gone on to win three games in a row, and everyone's like, oh, Zidane's a genius, blah, blah, blah. Real Madrid is so good. Arsenal is the only thing that I can laugh at right now, basically. Uh, so I don't laugh at Arsenal. I don't laugh. I laugh at Arsenal fans either. I don't laugh at Arsenal <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just laughed there. But um, I mean, thanks so much for joining us, brother. And um, great job on the piece. And um, hopefully, a few football football stories from you in the future, mate. Hopefully, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yes, Ahmed. No Good to see legend. you, Ahmed. Legend, legend of the SPS officers. Mate, remember when we, when we interviewed um, Robbie from AFC TV? Like he was, he was in that exact office. Yep, yep. Robbie, Robbie, Robbie Blood has sat in uh, this office and has been a part uh, of I've, my interview with him. Is still up on YouTube if you want to go check that out. Um, but yeah, he was he was a genuinely a really nice guy, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he has had the success that he's had. Although 
I do worry sometimes about these fan TVs and the implications for the game. But should we talk about uh, Aussies abroad, Adrian? Because Nikita Rukovica, oof, oof, flames. Mate, mate, the bloke can't stop scoring. Mate, literally cannot stop scoring. There's one game. I think he's played about 15 games this year. Yeah. He's not scored or and assisted. He's in often games he scores and assists in every single game. People are like, oh, it's only Maccabi Tel Aviv. It's only blah blah. It's yeah. Europa League games as well. So that's first of all. Also, the Israeli league. You know, I don't think it's – I wouldn't say it's definitely stronger than the A-League. In fact, I might – yeah, sorry, I wouldn't say it's definitely weaker than the A-League. So, no. the, And if you're scoring in any league, in any professional league, every single game, that's incredible. Doesn't matter uh, what it, level it is. Doesn't matter yeah, yeah. what level. I, can't, I really want to see him back in the soccer is because, you know what, for so often we saw him out on the wing because he was fast and it seems like yeah. number nine is where his position is. So That was always his thing. It was like, oh, this guy's fast. And it's like, that's it. Actually, you know, his goal is – he can actually play, you know. And look at look at Trent Bahadur at Sydney FC, another one who, oh, this guy's fast, this guy's fast, this guy's fast, but now they're playing him through the middle and actually they're getting more reward for it. So, anyway, that's good to see. Uh, Sam Kerr, again, scoring for Chelsea, scoring the winner. That was great to see. Um, Adam Taggart is on the move. He's uh, looks like he's going to the J-League. He's leaving Suwong, which had started out well there. He was the golden boot, uh, I think, of last season, um, but hasn't quite, you know, worked out. I think he fell out with the coach or something like that. But he's going to Japan. That's going to be good. And Milos Degenek to take on AC Milan in the Europa League. Zlatan Ibrahimovic up against Milos Degenek. What do you think about that, Adrian? Oh, mate. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see. It's just great to see the Aussies in the, you know, you mentioned Mamil before and, you know, it was, it was great to see him. And it's great. It's great. And we have that even with the Europa League. We're so accessible to be able to watch it. I think it's fantastic yeah. as well. Um, yeah. These days, we're able to see their games. We're able to see these highlights so much more and more now with, with our Aussies playing overseas. Because when we were younger, obviously, you know, we're going to put in context where I'm in thirty year and you're, you know, your late twenties. We, you know, we didn't get this outside of the guys in the Premier League and mm. you know, Paul Lockins and the Serie A was, uh, you know, it was hard to keep abreast of or get the highlights of what was happening. So it's really good these days, and it's fantastic to see our Aussies, you know, in the Europa League in these competitions that we that we can watch. And the more the better, you know. Even in the lower leagues of England, you know, you can you can keep across all the time. Even though you know Harry Kuehl managing, you can you can keep across these results and you know be able to watch these highlights a lot better than you than you're ever used to. Yeah, absolutely. Justin Parker on Facebook's asked, what more does this man have to do to get a recall? Well, I just guess the soccerers have to play a game. That's been yeah, a problem for him. He's in the form of his life, and we can we can barely get a game out. But hopefully this 2021 year, this is this is what I'm hoping for. Hopefully the calendar is packed. We got the Olympics. Oh. We got the Copper America. We got the Asian qualifiers. Hopefully there's plenty of opportunities for the yep. likes of Nikita Rukovica and all the other soccerers. Should we do... Good news or bad news, good news. We'd like to finish on the good news. Bad news, good news. Adrian, what's your bad news for the week? I'll just do one first before I get to my bad news. But I yeah. spoke to James Johnson a few weeks ago about that, and there's going to be a lot of qualifiers next year. Um, they have to get them in. They have to, and there's going to be potentially in a, in a, in a hub situation in Asia where they'll play. Yeah. You know, they may, that's what I mean. They may, they may play the soccer as will play like four games in a row. And I, I did raise that. I thought it may be a bit, you know, it's annoying because it'll, it could potentially take players away from the A-League like for so time because then obviously have to quarantine when they come back. Mm. But there's going to be a lot of games next year. You see the same thing in the Matildas. There'll be a lot of games for them. You might even see games specifically in, in with the European-based players as well. So there's going to be a lot of international football next year. Let's just hope that vaccine rolls out across Europe and the, the more more football we can watch, the better. So there's, there's more games. But 
Um, you go first with your bad news. You go first. Right. My uh, bad news, and uh, it's uh, shared by Michael Ong on Facebook. Uh, Gerard Houllier, former manager of Liverpool, uh, departing, dying. Um, I don't know what age he was, but. Three, I think he was. 73, okay, yeah. So he's, yeah. he's quite old. But, uh, you know, from all accounts, a really good guy, um, you know, a legend kind of of yeah. Liverpool, really helped Liverpool kind of make that transition from the old ways to the new ways of the continental manager. But it's very sad to see Jared Julio. You know, very sad to see Paolo Rossi dying. Of course, Maradona, mm -hmm. who we did the full special show on. So there's been some big, big names in football, some huge losses. And Jared Julio is just another one. So that... Um, was my bad news. And Mark Bowers also says, bad news, Julia's death. You'll never walk alone. Good news, the competition in the APL. That's not a bad one. The APL is kind of mm. heating up, uh, mainly because everyone kind of sucks. Mm. That's you know that's kind of the problem at the moment is no team is really good enough. But I do agree, uh, Mark, with your point there. I think it's great seeing all the different leaders that we have in all the different leagues. You know, you've yeah. got, um, got Real Sociedad doing really well in Spain. You've got Tottenham doing well in England. You've got uh, Lyon doing well in France, I think they're top, or is it Marseille? I, I can't remember which one, but um, PSG aren't top, which is the main thing. Yeah. Uh, well, know, Bayern Munich aren't yeah. top. They're doing all right. They're doing all right. In the French league, but yeah, you're right. I think this might be the year for Spurs. I, I, I watched obviously yeah. uh, Man City. I use this one this morning. They got more draws than a furniture shop. Like you just can't. <laughs> like honestly, like I love ex I love the expected goal stat from this morning. I think it was. Um, where was the stat? I'm just getting it up now. Was it like 2.88 to 0.01? Oh, uh, I've lost it. It was, oh, hold on, I'm going back now. They, we had 26, 26 shots, and but yeah. the, you know, it wasn't great for the old XG, but Sterling's expected goal ratio was better than West Brom's. His was 1.04 to West Brom's 0.35, and City's was 2.98 to West Brom's 0.35. Very frustrating game to watch this morning, but, um, Absolutely. you know, it up, but... Um, I think my bad news. I'll I'll have to go with just that that um, launch earlier in the week, just for the fact is just another example. I mean, Don, another Tonka Tony shares your uh, your, yeah. your sentiments. Um, it's just another re like it just gives people another reason to kick the A League and the W League and all these people. When you know, I know that there was, and that's the thing. It's just. It's time after time, little things like this happen, and it's just it's got to stop eventually. In the sense that you know, you just got to be organised. Like that's all it is. It's just like they've got to give people. They've got to get to a point where they stop giving the fans an excuse to kick them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, yeah, you know I mean things like that are a classic example. It's just like maybe don't have everyone standing in this room and with a, you know with pipes. And I, and I was a bar and stuff like that. It's, it's in your opinion, you know, but it's just, yeah, that, that's my good news. What's, I mean, my bad news. What's your good news, Charlie? Uh, well, I was thinking the, the competition uh, in Europe has uh, been uh, really interesting. I think that's really good. Um, but it's also, I think the good news is, listen, we've got, we got shows next week. Lucy is back next week. That's actually my good Thank news. God. Thank <laughs> God. I just get some of the comments up about, uh, you know, get bring Lucy back. Yeah, here we go. Tom, yeah. Get Lucy Listen, back. They say um, it. They say it every time, man. Don't uh, worry about it. They, they, they all hated me for the first like two months I was on this show. So no, uh, it's, all, it's all good. But no, I, I do appreciate <laughs> for bringing down the uh, quality one, the uh, looks yeah. quality two. Um, mm. Can I just say before how good it was having two bald men on this? Me and Vince, you know, putting to bed the whole talk that you got a head for radio because we're both bald and we are at times. I'm on television, and so too is. Uh, so too is Vince at times. I think my my good news 
for me is probably just the excitement, or just the, the just the build, like knowing what's 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 coming for the A League and the W League, and knowing it's starting soon. I think that's yeah. for me is the good news. Like I know there's not much actual news there, but it's just like and. <laughs> But my other good news as well is why I want to say that is for is the players that are looking at coming back and the tall and Mustafa Amini looking at coming back to the A League. Yeah, yeah, Mustafa Amini, that'd be cool. And, and like even the suggestion from Robbie Slater, I know it's pretty obvious, but like the, the you know the guy should come back to play for the A. I think that's how we've got to look at it. I think that's the good news. There is these the league is going to become much more viable for players. I think over the next few years, and especially the W League, that you're going to see. You know, you're going to see growth, and it can't go backwards much. But it's it's great to see that it's starting. But it's also there's, you know, these players want to come back. I think is is fantastic. Absolutely, and you know what? Well, you know what else is fantastic? The comments of the people. Ari Brisbane, love your work. Santino Mamone, thanks, guys. Hassan Bertan, another City fan, doing good job, Adrian. Uh, Michael Long, okay, banter aside, great show, guys. Uh, Santino Mamone, Forza Juve and victory. Nah, screw Juve, man. No one. Forza Milan, if anything. Forza Napoli. Forza Napoli. And then uh, Tonka Tony, gents, you've tuned, you have me tuned in. Good job. Even muting work Zoom meetings to listen. That's what yeah. we love to hear. We love to hear that you're, you know, not doing your job and that you're listening to this. So uh, that's fantastic. So I think we should um, wrap it up there. Yep. And as I said, um, thanks so much to everyone for joining us. Hopefully you won't see me next week and Lucy will be back here. Uh, but thanks for having me always, as always, Stolly and the guys. Um, football, just love talking it and just keep um, getting excited for the A-League. And as Nikki said, get out and buy your memberships and get down. It's not long now until it all kicks off. And after all the talk, it's going to be really great. It's, I know it's going to be a bit of a transition season because 2022, obviously, it's going to be starting. It's going to be moving to winter. Like, don't anyone let you tell you differently. It's uh, uh, 95% chance it's happening just get excited. It's going to be all united. We're going to, it's all going to be unified and it's going to be um, really exciting in the future, obviously, then the, then the Women's World Cup. Thanks for joining yep. us. And check out the World Game for any other stories uh, that you may have missed. Uh, you can check out everything, including the James Troisi story that we had six days before he actually signed. So yeah. that's some good stuff. And, all right. and, the, and the mongrel. And the mongrel. Yeah, <laughs> his dad talking about mongrel. All right. Have a good show, everyone. Tune in next week. Lucy's back. Thanks lots for joining us. Goodbye. Thanks.